It is found in Judges chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. For those of you at home, those who are present, if you like, I'll give you a little bit of time. Turn to your Bible. It's a good practice to turn a Bible, to find where it is. It's good to flip the pages. Judges chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. So I honor my word to Hank where I said he'll be allowed to come back for part two. And then he's here with us again. And I'm going to read for you uh, the second, second part uh, of his sermon this, based on these verses. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the, the host of Midian. And came unto a tent, and smote it, that it fell, and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And this, and his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand has God delivered Midian and all the host. I invite Elder Hang onto the stage. Yeah, happy Sabbath. I am just getting dressed. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I'm relieved to be back here. But uh, before we get started, maybe there's something I need to clear with you. Uh, last time when I arrived to preach Gideon part one, you know, I thought I'll, I'll make a joke. I'll, I'll say, uh, Pastor, note this is part one. So I'm implying that there's a part two. And I went through the whole song and dance. Uh, not realizing that my good friend Tony had done the exact same thing the week before. Now, it was not coordinated. I did not copy. In fact, I did not see Tony's sermon because I was preaching. I do some relief preaching for the congregation in Batam. So I completely missed Tony's sermon. So uh, I apologize for that unintended uh, copyright infringement. But the important lesson we all learned here is you can never miss the SDAC sermon. It is at your own peril that you do so. You can never miss the ESDAC sermon. So uh, by some miracle, I've been invited back for part two. But I can't help myself, Pastor. You know there is a part three. I'm just mentioning it, you know, while we're on topic. But yes, uh, as a reminder, part one, we spent uh, focusing on Judges chapter six. And we said uh, part one of the story of Gideon is the calling. The calling of Gideon. Uh, chapter 6, this contains the calling of Gideon. The Lord called Gideon to drive the oppressing Midianite force out of Israel. And now for today, we move on to Judges chapter 7. So open your Bibles. We'll read, we'll talk, we'll share. So Judges chapter 7 verse 1, Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Moray in the valley. The hill of Moray. The reference to Moray is enlightening. Moray means teacher or teaching. And there are only two other references to this uh, Moray in the Bible. The first is the promise to Abraham. And we're now studying Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 6, And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moreh. There you have it, the plain of Moreh. And what happened here in Genesis 12? 
In verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and he said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded Abraham an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So what happened in Moreh? God gave the promise to Abraham. The second mention of Moreh is when God delivered the blessings and the curses to Israel in Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 30. God speaking, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I commanded you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon the Mount Gerizim and the curse upon the Mount Ebal. And in verse 30, Are they not on the other side, Jordan? Where? Beside the plains of Moreh. So Israel, here in Gideon's time, they find themselves back at Moreh, Moreh the teacher. And they are being reminded by their teacher that this land was promised to Abraham. This is not the Midianites' land. They are being reminded that they will be blessed for obeying, but they will be cursed for disobedience. Has Israel been obedient? No, they had gone after other gods. And that is what God is reminding them of. The teacher is reminding them, this is your land, and if you will obey, you will be blessed. The question is, Esdak, do we need a teacher? Do we need a moray to remind us, to remind us of the promise of God to us as his people, to remind us that we will be blessed if we are obedient, and we will be cursed if we are disobedient? Continuing in verse 2 of Judges 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now this is one of the rare occasions when the Lord had too many volunteers. These days the Lord rarely has enough volunteers, and most of the time none at all. I put this in the sermon not realizing that pastor was immediately going to call my bluff today, when he said we actually have enough volunteers who have volunteered not to come to church next Sabbath. So I guess here in Estac we have a healthy volunteer culture. But actually when it comes down to doing the work of the Lord, do we ever have that problem that there are too many volunteers? No. No, rarely do we have. But notice how times of trial and difficulty make people more willing to volunteer. That certainly is the proven case here at ESTA. In a COVID outbreak, we're more willing to volunteer to stay home. <laughs> times of trial and difficulty make people more willing to volunteer. And this should be cause for us to pause and think. Why are we not volunteering more in service to the Lord? Are the times perhaps too good, despite what's going on now? Is it still too good? Is life still too good? And that is why we are not volunteering more. Think about that. But let's return to Gideon, 
and the impending battle. The Lord was careful to avoid possible confusion in that Israel might be tempted to think we saved ourselves. You know, we showed up. We showed up in number. We got it done. Israel did it. And God did not want to allow any remote likelihood of success, any reasonable expectation of success for Israel. And therefore, everyone who saw Israel prevail had to admit that it had to be a miracle. It was impossible. That was God's goal. So in Judges 7 verse 3 we read, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying that whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and they remained 10,000. So Gideon had 32,000 men, 32,000 volunteers. And the Lord says that those who are afraid should go home. And 22,000 go, and Gideon still has 10,000 left. Now, this is the sad reality of revival, especially a revival born of difficult times and trials. Initially, there are large numbers attracted, but sadly, most of those aren't committed. There is initial excitement, but sadly, no root or depth to that experience. The primary motivation is the current circumstance, rather than a committed and an enduring faith. We are told specifically that these were afraid. Sadly, many people today, they hear the gospel truth, and they are afraid of being lost, but also afraid of facing the world as committed Christians. And ultimately, it is their fear of the world that prevails. This disqualifies you from being a committed soldier of Christ. The Bible tells us we are to fear the Lord only. Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 14 verse 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. Fear of the Lord is the only fear we need. Let this be a caution for us in our churches, that there are members who may still fear the world and the world's opinion of them. And these considerations may undermine the church and the mission of the church. These will not be able to march forward boldly in faith and fear of the Lord. These members, through fear of the world, will undermine the mission. These were sent home. But let's continue. We read that the Lord felt that even the 10,000 were too much. Verses 4 to 6, the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to the mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Now, 
in the Afrikaans language that I grew up with, this has always been a very difficult passage for me to understand. Because I always thought that the Lord instructed Gideon to pick the most hopeless. You know, the men are running, they're running down to the water, and the guys who fell flat on their faith and stuck their heads into the water and lapped it up with their tongue like a dog, these are the men that God picked. So God really wanted the most sorry soldiers. That was my former understanding. And the more dignified, those who go on their knees and, you know, uh, scoop up the water and drink it with both hands, these were not selected. So God really wanted the most hopeless band. That was my previous understanding, due to the Afrikaans translation. Uh, the English translation has helped me read more carefully. Because it says this lot that are uh, lapping like the dog, there's a very uh, specific uh, section inserted or, or, or sentence put in there, putting their hand to the mouth. So it's not that they're lying flat on their stomach and lapping like a dog, but they are using their hand like a dog would use its tongue to lap the water. They put the hand in and then they drink. Now, have you ever noticed that when a dog is lapping water, he's vigilant? His eyes can still see. Whereas a human who's bending over and using both hands to scoop, he cannot see. So in fact, the group who fell on their knees, they employed both their hands to scoop the water. They were not alert. They were not aware of their surroundings. In fact, they stopped caring about their own safety. They only cared about rehydration. These are careless or reckless people. They forsook their awareness and recklessly only focused on satisfying their immediate need. But the group that the Bible says lapped like a dog, they were putting their hand to the mouth. This means they had the other hand that they could reach for a weapon. They had their eyes up. They remained vigilant. Their body position and everything was ready to react. They could scan their surroundings. These were the alert, the aware, and prepared men. These were the men that God selected. So to conclude in terms of this uh, uh, method of selection of God, uh, the group that was excluded, yes, these were not afraid. Make no mistake. Remember the first 22,000, they were afraid. But this remainder group, the 9,700 who also were excluded, yes, they were not afraid. That's good, right? Unfortunately, they were too reckless to be afraid. These were the foolhardy. These were bold, but not bold in faith. These were not afraid to get into a fight. They're not afraid, but they're also not necessarily equipped and prepared for the fight. So uh, when I think of my life, I'm probably in this group. You know, uh, when I was younger, I was always tall, but a bit skinnier, right? But not afraid to get into a fight, but not always equipped for that fight. And uh, these are the foolhardy. These are not the traits we want to see in our Christian soldiers. Foolhardy, reckless, ultimately ineffective. Be careful of filling the ranks with those who are unprepared, untrained, uncaring, and unaware. Because in the heat of the fight, they will disregard the mission and selfishly only focus on their own needs. These are not the soldiers you want in the army of God.
Let's continue. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. Now, God selected 300 men. Let's jump to verse 12 to read the size of the force that this 300 men were to attack. In verse 12, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east, they lay along in the valley. One, they were like grasshoppers for multitude. Two, their camels were without number. Now, I mean, if the, if, the, if the infrastructure is without number, how many people are there? If the transport is without number, how many people are there? Three, as the sand by the seaside for multitude. So God didn't balance these books nicely. I mean, the size of that force that 300 men were going to take on. Definitely no place for those who are fearful. And also, you're going to have to have your wits about you. It's an immense force. Now, the Lord, by now, he's also familiar with his man, Gideon. He knows that his man, Gideon, is a man who needs encouragement and reassurance. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd need reassurance too. I started with 32,000. I'm down to 300. The enemy force has not reduced at all. God provides the reassurance. Let's read in verses 9 all the way through to 15. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto Gideon, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Purah thy servant down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went Gideon down with Purah his servant, Onto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Continuing in verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, and this was our scripture reading. Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came unto a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save... The sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Now, what knocked down the tent in this dream? Bread. Bread. What is bread a symbol of? Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus speaking, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Bread is a symbol for the word of God. Bread is also... A symbol, as per John 6, verse 35, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Bread is also a symbol of Jesus. But when that bread knocked that tent down, they said it is the sword of Gideon. So what is the sword of Gideon? 
The sword of Gideon is the bread of life. The sword of Gideon is the word of God. The sword of Gideon is Jesus Christ. And I want you to keep that in mind as we proceed. Because now we're moving into the battle. Now things are getting serious. Now Gideon has all the encouragement and the reassurance he needs. In verse 16, Gideon divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. Do what I do. This is a vital lesson on leadership. Set an authentic example. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of do as I say, not as I do. In your families, in your work, wherever you are, do as I do is the right example. And we will see, we will see in the same way. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? He said, uh, for man does not live by uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We will see that Jesus defeated Satan's temptations by the word of God. And so we are also able to defeat the enemy using the same weapons that Jesus used. And Gideon will show us those weapons. And we are to do as Gideon did. We are to follow that authentic example. And those weapons that we are going to study now, that's going to show us how we too can defeat this enemy. Those weapons are explained to us in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you want to know what these weapons are? Are you excited for this battle? Do you want to know what these weapons are? Let's continue. Verse 18. When Gideon will blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. The middle watch is midnight. It's the darkest of the night. Our salvation will come in the darkest of night. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So what were these weapons of Gideon and his three companies? There was a trumpet. There was an empty pitcher. There was a lamp. And there was a loud cry. Now a trumpet. Why a trumpet? We find that a trumpet was used in Exodus 19 and 20 to announce God's arrival when he spoke the Ten Commandments. The trumpet also announced the year of Jubilee, which was the setting free of the land and the people. The trumpet also announced the fall of Jericho. When Nehemiah built the wall of Jerusalem, he said in Nehemiah 4.20, In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet... Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. In Psalm 47, the trumpet announces that the Lord is gone up to fight on our behalf. 
Psalm 47, 5. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Zechariah says of the trumpet in Zechariah 9, verse 14, uh, down to 16. And the Lord shall be seen over, the, over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall go with whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them. And they shall devour and subdue with sling stones. And they shall drink and make a noise as through wine. And they shall be filled like bowls and as the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them. In that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. But most importantly, Jesus tells us of the trumpet. In Matthew 24 verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Brothers and sisters, the trumpet sounds the arrival of our imminent salvation. Our imminent salvation from this evil world and our gathering unto the Lord. Why? Why do we say that? Because the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, he tells us that the trumpet is verily the voice of the Lord God himself. Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. The trumpet, the trumpet signifies God's proclaimed word. It signifies God's proclaimed word which precedes the salvation of his people. That is why they used the trumpet. Next was a pitcher. Why a pitcher? A pitcher is a clay pot, for those of you who don't know. Now we read in Isaiah 64 verse 8 of this pitcher, this clay pot. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, thou our potter. We are all the work of thy hand. The clay pot, the pitcher, symbolizes us as God's created beings. Now, the pitcher was used for drawing water at a well. It was used for storing water. We read of the pitcher that was used in Genesis 24 by uh, uh, Rebekah to give water to Eliezer. We, as God's created beings, are to store and share the water of life which is Jesus. We are those pitchers. We are those clay pots. But we also read here in Gideon's uh, uh, assault upon this camp, we read that there was a flame inside the pitcher. There was a lamp. There was a flame inside the pitcher. Now, if the pitcher remains intact, there's not a lot of fresh air and oxygen going into the pitcher. It chokes the flame. The flame cannot shine brightly. It's choked while it is in the pitcher. But what did Gideon and his band do? They broke the pitcher. They broke the pitcher, and once the pitcher is broken, the fresh air rushes in, and that lamp shines brightly. We read that a broken pitcher is a symbol for death. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 6, Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain. A broken pitcher 
is a symbol of death. Now, what are we talking about? What death here? We read that Gideon's battalion, they broke these pitchers, and so too are we to break. Remember, we are those clay pots, the hands of God. We are to break. We are to die unto self. As Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But whomsoever this stone shall fall upon shall be ground till powder. Yes, we, we as clay pitchers, we are to fall on Jesus Christ, the rock, the stone, and be broken in repentance and rebirth and baptism. Or we shall be crushed by Him in judgment. We are to fall on Jesus Christ, the rock. And when we as those pitchers fall on Christ, the rock, and are broken, then the lamp will shine brightly. Now this lamp, what is this lamp? Why a lamp? When the pitcher was broken, the shining lamp could be seen. And Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Proverbs 6 verse 23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. When we are broken upon that rock, Jesus, then we are to shine the lamp which is the word of God. His truth, His law, we are to shine that lamp brightly in this world to a reproof and to a res- an instruction unto others. Jesus will defeat the evil enemy with His spoken and written word. He will use broken vessels to shine His light. It's not an impressive army. They are few They are broken, but they speak the word of the almighty God, El Shaddai. The shout. Why the shout? We saw the shout accompanying the fall of Jericho when the trumpets were being blown. Perhaps you can still recall my sermon on Rahab of a few months ago. I preached during the lockdown. We seem to be heading for another lockdown. We read in Psalm 47 verse 5, God is gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of trumpet. We see a parallel of this text in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The shout and the trumpet, the shout and the trumpet herald God's victory over evil. Jeremiah 25 verse 30, Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words and say unto them, now listen now, The Lord shall roar from on high. He utters His voice from His holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon His habitation. He shall give a shout as they tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The trumpet and the shout herald the Lord's apocalyptic victory. Now what did Gideon and his men shout? Verse 18. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord. We read of the Lord returning to this earth at the end times triumphantly in Revelation 19. Reading verses 11 to 16. 
And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What comes out of the mouth? A sword. What usually comes out of a mouth? Words. The sword of the Lord is the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is the sword of the Lord. It is a two-edged sword because with it we can defend and we can attack. We defend our faith and we can attack error. And it cuts deep to the dividing of soul and spirit. So the trumpet and the shout herald the Lord's victory, a victory obtained by the word of God. Remember, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, a victory obtained by the word of God. And so it was for Gideon and his men, and so too it can be for you. A victory obtained by the word of God, so too it can be for you. Verse 21. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. They stood. They stood. God needs men and women who will stand for truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood for truth. Will we today stand resolute in faith? And stand for truth. Verse 22. And the three hundred blew the trumpets. And the Lord said every man sword against his fellow. Even throughout all the host. And the host fled. Chapter 7 of Judges teaches us. Of a mighty victory. A victory won by a small battalion of three hundred men. Men armed with nothing but the sword of the Lord, the written and proclaimed word of God. Men who were not victorious by personal effort. But men who were victorious by being vulnerable, broken people who stood in faith and obedience to the Lord. And that same glorious victory could be yours personally. It could be yours personally. We can access those same exact weapons today. We can choose to volunteer to be in Gideon's army today. 
that same glorious victory could be ours personally. That same glorious victory could be ours collectively as a church. Can our church assemble the 300? Can our church equip them with the word of God? Can our church experience that victory? And that same glorious victory will ultimately be the Lord's over this sinful earth. Again, the Lord will only use these exact same weapons, the word of God. But the question is, will we stand? Will we stand in our place? Will we stand raising that lamp? Will we stand? Will we stand blowing that trumpet? Will we stand? Will we stand blowing that trumpet, proclaiming the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Will you stand shouting the sword of the Lord? Will you? Let's close our eyes. Dear Lord, we have reflected upon 300 men. 300 men who were willing. Lord Jesus, and through them you worked a mighty miracle. A miracle rich with symbolism that can inform us how we too can be mighty soldiers of faith. Willing, willing to engage in combat with the enemy, Lord Jesus, but our weapons are not carnal. Dear Lord, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And these weapons are not special weapons that only certain people have access to. But these weapons, they are the written and spoken word of God that are being shined out by a bright lamp to a testimony to this world. And I plead with you, please, pour out your spirit that your church here at Estac might be willing to enlist in that army. To make the sacrifices, to be spiritually alert and aware, to not be fearful, but also not be reckless, Lord Jesus, but to be centered in faith and to march forward in your army, armed with your word and shining a lamp brightly as a testimony to this fallen world who needs your salvation. This is my prayer in your holy name. Amen.
Dear Lord Jesus, your church in song has now proclaimed your soon return. For this earth to hail you as our king. Dear Lord, we pray that we will do so outside of this church to be your witnesses. Lamps shining brightly to the service of our communities. Dear Lord, to the blessing of our communities. But Lord, to in obedience and in self-sacrifice and worship to you, our God Almighty. Dear Lord, please bless your people with your spirit to give them that encouragement, to show them the opportunities, to, Lord, inform them how to execute this task. And, Lord, where they may struggle for faith, where they may struggle with fear, like Gideon, Lord, give them that reassurance. Give them that dream that you are with them and they will succeed in this mission. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.